Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, uh, you're going to be meeting Dimitri Banaros. Uh, Dimitri is an actor, a singer, a writer, a composer, and he's based here in New York. He had his own theater company, Hypnosis. Uh, he does a lot of acting now for other people, and um, he's just one of those fascinating guys who nothing was handed to him, so he went out and he created his own stuff, and that gave him lots of new opportunities, one of which was meeting me <laughs> over 10 years ago, I think. We were in a show together uh, that was featured in the International Theater Festival and nominated for numerous awards. I, in fact, was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor in a Musical. Didn't get it, sorry, uh, but it was indeed an honor just to be nominated. Uh, in any event, um, you can uh, leave me comments, concerns, suggestions at www.isthatreallylegal.com. I believe we list our Twitter feed there, too. You can subscribe to this podcast. It will automatically come to you. You can review it. Um, and that will make it easier for other people to find this podcast. And I'm just thrilled to be back. I had taken a hiatus for a variety of reasons, including COVID. So please take care of yourselves. Just a side note. But uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with uh, Dimitri Benaros. Uh, Dimitri Benaros, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I am thrilled to see you. Um, and as I'll probably say in the uh, intro, it's been at least 10 years, I think. Um, and we know each other from acting together and separately. And uh, people think New York is this big city. But when you're an actor, uh, it really isn't. Yes, uh, I, I'm thrilled to, to, to reconnect, Eric, as well. Um, and thank you so much for inviting me. You're right. The number is larger than the human mind wants to comprehend. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no. And, yeah, New York is a weird, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know, a sort of a, an endless thing, you know, as big as the universe. And then the theater world is... Also that, but also somehow very provincial and tiny. It seems it's it's a weird. I don't know how those combine, but well, we'll talk about it. Um, I'm not going to go way, way, way back in your world, but I do know that you went to college uh, in a really great school. I did a little. You know, by the way, we never talk about this when we were working together on a show or whatever. But I was like, where did he? to school and what's he doing now so i you know we're linkedin friends i never look at anything on linkedin i went i was like oh crap he went to swarthmore uh for people who don't know that is a ridiculously good i want to call it a liberal arts school would you call it that yep. yeah absolutely and, and it's on the main line of philly where i lived uh in an area called overbrook uh before yes. i mean i'm from new york but i spent some time there and it is just in a weird way, down the street from there, it's called Route 30, uh, but yep. anyway, other people just call it the main line. So people may have heard of these famous places like 
Ardmore and Bryn Mawr and Swarthmore. And, and then you, you studied theater at Villanova, which was just further down the same street. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of wild. Like, that, a lot of people don't do that. Uh, and these are, by the way, two really great schools in close proximity. Yeah, I... <laughs> So before I get into that, I have to say, you know, because I've, I've listened to uh, several episodes of your of your show, and it amazes me how it doesn't matter who the guest is and what their history is, you always have some connection to whatever steps they might have taken in their lives. Someone might have, you know, picked berries in Central Asia, and you have a story from when you were backpacking or something. It's really amazing. Well, it's just that uh, I'm old. And I've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I'm fortunate. I've been to a lot of places. But thank you. And the fact that you admitted to listening to some episodes of the show, you can do no wrong now. Do we uh, one no, day? I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually very honored to be in the company of, of some of these guests that you've had on because they're really, really interesting people who tend to, you know, they're corporate executives and, you know, Antiques appraisers and circus clowns all in one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's accurate. That's not like something you made up. That's all completely true. And I find that um, I had an epiphany or I've had certain experiences. So there was a time in my life when I had set up people in a sort of hierarchical uh, way, you know, that there were people who were better or certain things were better or less or whatever. And I, something shifted for me. I had a transformation where I just really appreciate just about everybody, unless they're me. But, uh, you know, everybody is, especially here in this city, is just an amazing story walking by. We have no idea how amazing some of the people who walk by us every day are. And, uh, and if you listen to the show, you know, there are a couple of people I'd had no idea who they were. I would like meet them in a cafe or something and just start talking to them. I'm like, I have to have you on my show. That's the coolest thing ever. Um, and then other people, of course, like you, who I've been in shows with, or Carolee Goodgold, for instance. Um, I know you know, or I think you know her. Of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, but even people that you think you know their story, you don't know their story. You know, I have friends from all over the world whose families have undergone all sorts of crazy things. Um, and... Uh, I, you know, you and I didn't hang out as friends, but what people don't, uh, people who are not in show business don't know is that when you're doing a show for several weeks before the show happens, you are thrust together for many mm -hmm. hours. And now in New York, it's a little different because, you know, you go in and you spend your time together during rehearsals. And then you disappear. Right. If you, if you still have a day job while you're doing that or to your family or whatever. Um, on shows which are more like regional shows or road shows, you're really thrust together because yeah. you're in Detroit for a week. And you're like, we're doing seven or eight shows this week in Detroit. And right. I don't know anybody here except you're, you're, the people on the bus. You're, you're staying. You're staying in company housing with the people in the show. You go to rehearsal together. Maybe after rehearsal, you go out for a bite or a drink. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, probably do try to carve out some me time, but a lot of your day is taken up by the the people in the show. That's very true. 
Right. And then just when you're like, oh, so Detroit's kind of interesting. You're like, well, it's too late. We're now we're going to Indianapolis yeah, right. or, you know, Santa Fe or I don't know. I never did a roadshow thing. I traveled uh, doing stand up uh, all over the country in a very different vibe, but not dissimilar. But stand up is a very solitary experience, whereas doing a show, you know, you and I, I'm just going to fast forward to it. So actually, I'm going to back up a second. So you go to Swarthmore. I know. I never addressed that. <laughs> yeah. Swarthmore is not a theater school, at least not in my experience. It's not, it's not a conservatory program the way, you know, we are aware of some, obviously, like the sort of the, the biggies, the Juilliards and the, and the Yales and NYU's and Carnegie Mellon. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but I would say, uh, Swarthmore actually has an excellent theater program. It's a different one. I mean, it doesn't, at least, well, I, you know, I should say, I don't know how the program is these days, but when I was there, it didn't necessarily, um, prepare you for the practicalities of the industry, but it prepared you for, it gave you a really good uh, theatrical grounding, both um, in theoretical matters, theater history, um, different styles, and so on. And, uh, you know, also in, in practical classes, in my case, these were predominantly acting based, but there's also, you know, a strong design program and directing program and so on. Um, but one thing that I loved, um, at the time, um, guy, Alan Koharski, um, a longtime professor at Swarthmore, um, he ran a, um, theater history seminar, uh, every spring and he, um, structured it around the Théâtre du Soleil, Ariane Manushkin's company in Paris which is, you know, started sometime in the 60s and it's still going. And it's a truly, truly remarkable you know, theater company, one of the greatest theater companies in the world. They do a lot of stuff that you might call experimental. They're not your, you know, commercial Broadway-bound uh, fair. But it's, although it does has stored to many countries and played to huge audiences, so it has a great, great audience, including here in New York. But the reason that was a great in for a theater history seminars because in at that point three decades of work they had done ancient greek stuff they had done suzuki they had done um uh commedia dell'arte they had done um uh, you know russian um, realism they had really worked on shows of many many different eras and different styles so it was a great great way to learn about each of these in a theater history by the way, that just yeah. you, you just reminded me. Uh, I was looking at some materials that I had on you, and you studied ancient Greek, or still do. I, I don't know. You're familiar with ancient yeah. Greek. Um, I took a year of ancient Greek in college, uh, and I don't remember anything except one phrase, which I may not even remember correctly. But I'll see. I'll see roots, and I'll go. Oh yes, like Naute uh, as sailor. Uh, and the phrase I remember was me frontizate naute, which was don't worry, sailor. Right. Uh, I, from? <laughs> I, I think it was from a comedy play because the one thing that I did for that year, which really helped was 
uh, work on translations and simplifications of, um, you know, like the frogs and mm -hmm. uh, things like that, you know, Aristophanes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and just as a side note for anyone listening who likes theater, like, you know, the Greeks, they invented this <laughs> or they certainly created it to what it is today. And I literally mean that, like they created a situation where people played the parts of things in front of other people. And there was a reason they did it. And when people get very highfalutin about theater and talk about it being our church or an important part of society, uh, they're not wrong. I don't think they're wrong. I think that uh, as much as we love movies and TV, there is nothing like being in a theater with live performers. And after the pandemic was over, uh, my wife Holly and I went to, like, we just booked five shows. Like, we were from out of town. They weren't, we don't usually do the tourist kind of shows, and I, we can talk about that too, because uh, that's kind of, that's a whole other conversation. But there we were, we were at Wicked, we were at The Lion King, and loved them. And, uh, what do you, what do you, you must believe in that magic. I mean, that's part of, I think that's part of your DNA. I mean, so I, I know I sort of uh, interrupted you, but do you feel like talking about that at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, uh, so first of all, I fully agree with what you said. Um, the, the ancient Greeks, um, the ancient Athenians, um, uh, created theater both as an art form, but also very much as a civic institution. I mean, um, drama and democracy were sort of parallel developments. Um, and uh, public performances, especially of Greek tragedy, were very much part of the civic life of the city. And um, I don't just, I don't mean to say that the, the plays were sort of dry, didactic things, um, but they were very much a way in which one of the various ways, I should say, in which um, certain people at that time and place thought through sort of important matters about life and the world um, in general. They educated and also, the populace, really. Yeah, and also specifically about the life of within a city. Some, you know, some are more obvious than others. The the Oristia trilogy of um, uh, Antigone, Aeschylus. Oh, no, no. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's Sophocles. Yeah. Antigone is Sophocles, right? Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, there's I. It's um, Agamemnon, the Libation Bearers, and the Humanities. Um, that is perhaps the most obviously related to the civic life of the city. It 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 deals very much with you know the development of the system of justice. What in today's parlance we might say the rule of law starting with a society in which it was sort of an eye for an eye, you do me wrong, I will do you wrong, or you hurt my family, I will hurt your family, and it's an endless cycle of blood, and then transitioning. But right, and no, no rules, no, uh, and it didn't involve participation by the community. Absolutely. It was the offended party versus the offending party, uh, sort of, we would call it the wild, wild west, uh, mm -hmm. in our sort of egocentric or ethnocentric way. But, you know, one of the great things about the rule of law, and I'm going to jump ahead a few thousand years to uh, 
one of my favorite people, John Adams. The ability of a, a gentleman who's a lawyer to represent the British soldiers who were occupying his home uh, as you know colonial power, but he still sought justice for those regardless of that position, and he won his case. Um, that couldn't happen in a time before the rule of law, because all that would happen would be there would be a riot in the street, and whoever had the most weapons and the most people would win. Uh, very likely, there'd be a lot of dead people in the street. And, uh, you know, society can't function that way. Yeah, and it probably and it probably wouldn't end, uh, at least in the case of a personal or a familial vendetta. It doesn't end because the offended party becomes the offending party, and then the other side wants revenge, and then the first side wants new revenge. And Kind of like the new Congress. Right, uh-huh. yes. And, and so that was like one of the big innovations of... Athens around the fifth, the sixth, and fifth centuries um, BCE, where they removed the administration of justice from the home or from your circle, your close circle of associates, to the city, where they placed the decision in the hands of third parties people who would judge the situation dispassionately, either acquit the accused or um, find him or her and come up with an appropriate penalty. And then the idea was it would end there because the, 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 the person receiving the punishment or that person's family, let's say, would not go after the jury of you know, 500, and say, you all wronged me. Um, and I, so I will go and, you know, take a machine gun to all of you, um, which was a remarkable innovation. And so uh, that's, you know, the sort of the, these advances in the system of justice, these advances of the system of the political system, and along with that, um, the what we now call the theater, these were all parallel developments, and they all sort of, Represented a new way for an individual to think of her and himself as a member of a city and a society. So, uh, going back to uh, theater, you're in Swarthmore, you're studying in this theater program, but you ultimately, did you go directly to the Lenovo to get your MFA? I did, yeah. And what was the distinction? Because, you know, I have heard from lots of people who have BFAs, MFAs, none of those things, both of those things. Uh, everybody has a different experience. What, what was it that you had hoped to gain from an MFA and what ultimately do you feel like you gained from it? Um, well, so for one thing, the, my program at Villanova was an MA. It wasn't an MFA. It was a two-year program. Yeah. Um, it's perhaps an academic difference for most of the world. Um, um, the program was also very good. I enjoyed it a lot. I learned a lot. Um, and again, in, in my case, it was almost an even split between performance classes and theoretical classes, um, which continues a thread, I think, um, to the present. Um, and, uh, you know, before I, I went to Villanova, I, you know, as far as I studied theater and math, I had a double major. 
and my senior year, I was I also considered some not many, but a, a few um, math uh, graduate programs. But then I decided against it, and I uh, applied to Villanova Theater. Good, and I Good got for it. you. <laughs> uh, and I went there. Um, I made the practical choice. <laughs> that is the first and maybe only time that anyone will ever say in my company, my master's in the arts was the practical choice. Well, <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, my brother was a math major and um, he did extremely well there, but he went to business school after. Yeah, you know, speaking of business school, um, I, in my adult professional life, I've worked a lot in the corporate world. And um, I find from direct experience, but also from what I read, because I, I, I am interested in things of, well, I'm interested in business and law developments and in leadership and team structure and things like that. So, I, you know, I don't just observe in my direct experience, but also I've read a lot over the years. And one thing that I found is that many of the best, let's say, business, many of the best managers in a business setting are not people who have a business background. Many of them have a, a, a humanities background, uh, maybe specifically an arts background, or many have a science background. Um, uh, obviously, there are certain, you know, as with everything else, certain sort of techniques, uh, um, areas of technical knowledge that you want to have if you want to advance, let's say, in finance, or if you want to advance in uh, in law or medicine, obviously you need a legal degree or a medical degree. Um, and then the further training you get, you know, by practicing. Um, so, but to, to be a good a person who works well, a person who manages projects well, a person who manages people well, a person who collaborates well, who sees the bigger picture. Um, all of those skills, I think you learn very well from a broader education rather than zeroing in on the sort of the end product too, too soon. You're talking to a guy who, you know, I have my own law practice. Um, I've been an actor, I'm a singer-songwriter, and I studied a lot of poetry. And um, I've been in big law firms. Uh, I know that your day job, I'm not going to go into who they are, but it is a huge company. Let's just call it that. Uh, international, tremendous scope. Um, and uh, I personally think I prefer having someone walking the halls who has looked at Robert Frost and understands the human condition is fraught with paradoxes and uh, people reaching out for, to other people and dealing with barriers, both real and imagined, just to, as I'm thinking of Robert Frost, who is far more contemporary than say, you know, any of the Greeks, um, uh, but, you know, my wife and I travel to Florence uh, more than a few times and we'll be going again. And uh, I often walk by a statue of, um, oh, God, uh, the sort of the founder of the Italian language, uh, Dante. Dante, right. Uh, who, who, you know, many could argue is one of the greatest writers of all time. 
Uh, and I think I think it's important for people who lead other people and who are making important decisions that affect all of us should have an understanding of the history of the human experience. So much what I find absolutely. I, so much what I find of in, the, in our political situation today. Uh, without getting too deep into it, I, the biggest problem for me is not even people who are incompetent, although that is a problem. <laughs> um, you know, people who don't, un, you know, people who are elected to office in our country who don't understand how the Constitution works is problematic. But right. a bigger problem is just the lack of kindness while spouting, uh, you know, sound bites about alleged Christianity. And now I'm not a Christian, uh, but I like to think that I understand kindness and that some of my understanding of kindness comes from studying what many other people have said about it, learning about the history of our planet, seeing when unkindness has shown up, how it's been met. You know, uh, I, I'm getting into a cul-de-sac as I often do, but I, <laughs> I feel like you, I feel like you probably share this point of view. Um, because I feel like, like me, you uh, have a foot in two very different worlds. Because not yes. only are you an actor, you, you have run theater companies. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a completely different skill set from being an actor. It is. and Because <laughs> you have to manage actors, which... Often an annoying one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I managed an acapella group for a while until I almost lost friendships and I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, but also as an attorney, I, and a literary, I've been in a literary agent and I have represented entertainers. I can't speak entertainers as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And, um, I understand them because I've been one, but trying to get them to see certain things is not always easy or, uh, it's not that they can't. I think there's a certain, sometimes people put on an identity and as part of that identity, they think they need to shun something to be something. Um, yeah. You know, they have to shun practicality to be an artist. Um, and I just, I disagree. But anyway, I'd like to talk more about you and how, like, so did you come to the city the city, New York City, right, right. <laughs> uh, because, you know, Philadelphia, some argue, is a city, in fact. But did you leave Philadelphia, New York to do theater? And when did that happen? Yeah, I came straight out of, um, out of uh, 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 grad school to New York. Um, I, you know, I was considering staying in, yes, I wanted to pursue theater. Um, I was considering uh Staying in Philly, obviously, I, I had a, a good grounding in the in Philly's uh, theatrical world. I uh, knew several people who had been there for a while, um, or some who were starting out um, theater um, theater careers. So that was one possibility, and I liked Philadelphia a lot. That was one possibility, and then the other, of course, was New York, um, for all the obvious reasons, but also because I have um, extended family here. Uh, many cousins. And so that was probably what weighed in the end in favor of New York. Um, and I came here and I've been here ever since. Um, but, uh, but of course, you know, you come to New York 
in, in some ways, New York is plug and play in that, you know, you don't need to have a car, you know, you know, and all that comes with that, um, insurance and, um, you know, but you do have to rent an apartment, which is the equivalent of buying a Rolls Royce. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I know what you mean. Like as opposed to Los Angeles, if you decide, oh, I'm going to do the TV film thing, right. you know, I, I've I've talked about this before. I had times when I was auditioning for theater and maybe a commercial or something. I thought it was usually in the summer stock kind of season. I could do five auditions in a day in New York City. And that's a lot, but it wasn't ridiculous because you could do right. two at the equity center and then jump right. on a subway, uh, go down to the village to some yeah. small thing, maybe even Brooklyn for something, and then go way uptown. There's a, like a theater on the east side, uh, not far from the city court building that I've auditioned at. And you could even then go into like, you know, the meatpacking district to get a go see for a sort of combination of modeling and acting gig or TV right. commercial. And that can all happen within a day. And right. in LA, um, you can do two a day tops. I think one's like, yeah. Oh, they want me in Burbank. And then I need to go to Studio City or God forbid Santa Monica and you're done. You can't, you're living in your car. And look, I'm not making fun of LA. It's just a reality. You can't, the traffic is ridiculous. You just can't possibly do more. Have, yeah. have you done LA at all? By the way? You know, no, I've not lived in LA. Um, I have, you know, I love California. Um, and, you know, my first experience with California was San Francisco. Um, where I took several visits, um, starting in college and then several years after. Um, and I loved, I loved San Francisco and I always, on the one hand, because I, I had the East Coast, um, uh, roots. And on the other hand, because I had experienced, of course, you know, not as a resident, but as a visitor, San Francisco, I had this, um, I was happy in my head to hate LA and sort of to attach to it all the worst stereotypes. Right. And then, and then I visited for the first time and I loved it. Yeah, it's beautiful. And uh, yeah, and my sister lives there, so I love it for additional reasons. And of course, I've, I've visited uh, mainly to visit her. I've the, the the thing is, I have not gone to LA trying to pursue the showbiz. Um, so I have not sort of. Sullied myself, if you will, <laughs> with, with, with all of that, with all that attends that. Um, but as a place under the sun, it is just lovely. Yeah, although uh, I've been seeing something on the news lately, there's a lot of rains. Not in LA; it's more north, Santa well, Cruz. Well, right, it's suffering a lot uh, of late, um, which is very annoying, very unfortunate, and very, you know, troubling. But what are you going to do? Um, uh, yeah. So back to New York. You, you so you come to New York. Uh, did you? Well, where do you? What area do you live in right now? If it's okay to ask. Yeah, um, I'm in Astoria in Queens. Um, Great thing about Astoria for those who don't know. Not we call it Actoria because right. it's filled with actors. It's a very family kind of part of Queens. There's a lot of apartments that are, I mean, there's a lot of apartment buildings, but there's also a lot of apartments that are like a floor that's shared with a bunch of people. And then one of the other floors is a family that owns the building. Um, and typically it's just the reality. There's a lot of Greek people in the story. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and uh, so that, you know, if you're already Greek and you speak Greek, um, it's probably an inn. Uh, there's also, frankly, a lot of great food in Astoria. It's always about food for me. <laughs> and there's a lot of good restaurants. I have this Cajun place I really like, and I'm blanking on the name of it. But they have a great jambalaya there. Uh, I can't help you because I am uh, uh, deathly afraid of spice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, people but, can but figure I, it but out. I, but I'm with you on every else you said about Astoria. All of those other things are very, very true. And it's uh, close to the city. It's like shockingly close. Not difficult when you jump on the train to get to where most actors want to be, which is Midtown Theater District, not just because their jobs might be there, but also lots of auditions happen in that area. Yes, that's right. And it's, and it's also something that really appeals to me. You know, other people have different priorities, but for me, you know, it's very, very close to where, you know, all the things are in the city, but also it's, and it is a very happening neighborhood. There's tons of places to enjoy bars and restaurants of many different kinds. And it has become more and more so um, in the basically 20 years that I've been here. But it's also a neighborhood. You know, at the end of the day, you come home and you're not surrounded by a mob of loud people you it's know, not you a can, tourist place let's you be can, honest right. you can you can Tourists turn off come to Astoria. you can turn off all the buzz of of the city when you get home um oh yeah just like I, I live in brooklyn and when i come out of the subway in my neighborhood there's trees there's parks right. and it used to be nobody came to brooklyn now i have to admit this is where i live is kind of touristy because we have amazing restaurants and I'm not quite at Dumbo, but I'm not far from there. Mm -hmm. And people walk across the bridge, do a lot of photos in Dumbo and Brooklyn Heights and that kind of thing. And there are famous movie stars who live in my neighborhood. And so people are hoping to see them. Um, Matt Damon and I walk by each other. Uh, he is always, he's got the face on that says, don't stop and talk to me which is fine. I wasn't going to, Matt. Okay, get over yourself. Um, but he and I did work on Goodwill Hunting uh, when I was an extra. <laughs> I was back when I lived in Boston. Uh, but he probably he, wouldn't recognize me. He was a very highly featured extra. No, no, no. He was, I was the extra, but he was the guy. Um, no, I know, I know. Yeah. That was his introduction. And writer. To right. And, and uh, Oscar-winning writer. Yeah. Now, you... Uh, did you did you start out with creating a theater company, or did you just do, did you go acting and then developed into doing a theater company? How did you do that approach? Um, it, so you know, I um, my first few years in New York, I was not too active as you know in in professional theater. Um, I, I did do uh, some shows um, and I took many workshops um, in various different styles, especially comedic styles like Rede del Arte, some Lecoq. Lecoq is not just comedy, but it's a, anyway, it's a physical theater, um, but chiefly a lot of comedia um, uh, workshops. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, I had a corporate job uh, in which <laughs> You know, I learned a lot. Um, I was also gainfully employed, which was obviously important. Um, but it was very demanding of my time and my energy. Um, 
I was uh, <clears throat> basically I was managing service and tech support teams in a call center. Um, uh, you know, not not when I first got the job, but by the time I left. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a very, as I said, it's a job that I, from which I learned a hell of a lot. Um, but also, I didn't have enough time or energy um, to be an artist there by the end. So um, I, I left that job, and around the same time, uh, a friend, a few friends of mine with whom I had worked um, in theater previously, said, "Hey, let's." <laughs> start a classical theater company here in the city. Um, and so that's uh, the first company that I helped run was that. It was, we called it the Hypnosis, spelling it Hip Hypnosis um, uh, Theater Company. When you um, say classical theater, just I, I want to be clear what you're talking about. Well, we didn't fully define it, but if you see the five shows that we did in three years, four of them were Shakespeare. Um, but the fifth was um, Brecht. That's classical. Well, certainly the Shakespeare. Brecht, I guess, not that I know what I'm talking about, but I call that in a weird way, like new classical. That sounds reasonable to me. Um, I, I, I'm happy to call it classical in the sense that it's not concerned with the quotidian in its subject matter or its... Style, but rather with more, with with things that cross time and place, right? And those, and and they're called classics for a reason. You know, when you watch, uh, if you watch King Lear and then you watch Succession, you're like, oh, that's this that that story never really stops, right? Um, and uh, just as one quick example, or you know, you watch Macbeth and then you see the political situation we find ourselves in. Or did for a certain four years and certain people, um, you know, uh, yes, uh, classic, classic for sure. I love the, the, there's a saying that I think is funny. Shakespeare wrote in cliches. Uh, <laughs> he didn't realize there were cliches at the time. Yeah, he invented them, but still. Right. Um, yeah. So, so that, you know, it's interesting that you did that because, um, I think if I were there, I would be of two minds about a theater company like that. I would be, first, I'd be like, that's fantastic because people want to see these things. And often in big productions and big theater companies or Broadway or large, you know, larger entities, they don't feel comfortable with the exception of, you know, uh, Shakespeare in the Park. Uh, most of them won't do these things because they're concerned about financial gain. Um, right. And also, honestly, they're hard to do well. Um, yes, all of those uh, things are true. <laughs> but on, on the other side, so that'd be cool. On the other side, it's like they are hard to make money from because your cast can't, you can't. You need to have people who are good. Otherwise, it's just wa watching bad Shakespeare is just a nightmare. Um, unless you're doing it on purpose as a comedy, which nobody, well, there actually is a show that did that. But anyway, right. Um, and so, you can't, it's almost impossible to make money in a small theater situation. Well, that's the thing. I mean, regardless of what you do, we, we had the benefit that whatever we did, we were not going to make money. So <laughs> <laughs> you might as well do what you wanted to do. We, did, we didn't have those silly concerns that the big Broadway productions have of like, oh, investors. You know, 
Yeah, right. Um, uh, 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 you know, clearing their their operational um, budget and 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 breaking even and what and all those. Silly but you also you didn't have to pay the author, which is nice. Yes, that well, that's one benefit um, of doing quote unquote true classical work, if you will, or or you know pre twentieth century, let's say classical work. Yeah. Um, especially if it's in English and you don't uh, really, you're not relying on a recent translation. That the rights are free. Yeah. Um, so, how, so you did several productions. Um, mm -hmm. You kept your day job, I assume. Uh, I was in between at the time. I started oh, okay. freelancing um, oh. uh, uh, as a as a writer of a in a couple of different areas. One was writing um, uh, test preparation content. Um, you know, my my previous job was in test prep, and so. I did some, you know, a little bit after I left uh, that job, I did some freelance, chiefly math writing um, for, you know, GMAT, GRE, um, um, PCAT, which is the, the, what is it, the pharmacy um, admission Oh, test. wow, I didn't even know there was one, but... Yeah, some, some you know, state, high school, um, uh, regions type of tests and whatnot. Um, so that was the one avenue. And the other avenue was um, freelancing for the law firm that I work for now. But that's how I started. Um, I ask you not not uh, not for any derogatory reason. I ask you because there are people I like to think who listen to this who are on the edge of making a decision. Like that sounds cool. I'd like to do something like that, but I can't do that. It's like well, maybe you can if you're able to figure out a way to freelance while you do it. You know, in the gig economy, and back when you were doing it, we didn't call it the gig economy back then, I don't think, but right. you were an innovator in a sense. Exactly. I, I deserve my, uh, my um, uh, residuals. <laughs> um, but at some point, and, and by the way, it's shocking how the time is flying by. So I want to uh, forgive me for pushing us along, but at some point, you didn't, you were out of that company, did another company come up? Or what was your move? For a number of years, um, I, I tried to pursue a more traditional um, route. Uh, so, you know, uh, for a number of years after um, leaving, after hypnosis sort of ran its course, um, I went to auditions. I uh, was uh, a hired gun, if you will. <clears throat> it was around that time, actually, that we we uh, met and we did um, Opa the Musical. Um, yeah, you know what's, what's interesting is that I, I've, I've said this uh, when I started really taking acting seriously later in my life, and I was doing it in Boston, and I was getting a lot of commercial work. Then the economy, like nine eleven, destroyed a lot of things in terms of commercial, whatever. And then I really pushed in New York, and um, I think at one point I did like two hundred auditions and got nothing. I mean, I tracked it and got nothing because it's, it's New York; it's incredibly it, competitive. It's really thankless. But I had a friend that I used to, I had a friend who was a musician and a producer, and I used to do stand-up uh, as a way to MC for some coffeehouse acts. And they knew me from that and hearing me sing with an acapella group. The OPA people were mentioning, looking for certain things. She goes, oh, you want Eric Rubin. You should have him come in. And so they basically hired me before, I think this was in an earlier iteration I don't think you were in it in that one, 
They hired me to cover several parts because we were doing like a producer showcase or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, by the time that we got it sort of on its feet and at the Midtown International Theater Festival. Yep. I was there for that one. Right. And that's when we met. Yeah. Um, and I was very fortunate like that they liked me when I showed up and that I liked them. And to to be honest, that was one of the best experiences I ever had in theater. All, the whole thing, including the part where we were in the International Theater Festival, we were nominated for several awards. It was really like a lot of fun. The yeah. show was fun. And there, Carolee Goodgold was in it, as well mm-hmm. as some other people that I'm not going to mention, although I'm blanking on his name, Michael, with a long Greek uh, name. Right? Yeah. Um, who could possibly be the most handsome man I've ever met in person. Uh-huh. And one of the nicest people on the planet. I should yeah. really have him on the show too. Like such a nice guy, like very talented, mm-hmm. but not what was great was working with these people who were incredibly talented, but like fairly egoless. Yeah. That's very process. true. And and um uh Revere. Um Patrick, yeah. Yeah, who's been on the show. Um, yes, that's right. <laughs> and another incredibly lovely guy. So yeah, I and, feel really and very, very talented too. I I stole a comedic bit of his for for, for another production that I did. Uh, you know. Anyway, it's 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 a good for a, you. A, like it, I, it, I think Keith Richards said that he stole a lot of stuff too, and he did okay. So right. you know, I'm sorry I, I interrupted. So we were in Oprah together, and that's when you were doing. And by the way, for people who are listening, it's not like you and I made a fortune on that show. Uh, right. I just want to be clear. It was not a Broadway show. Uh, it didn't get turned into a movie musical. Uh, so I'm not going to say what we made, but it was not. It was not a lot of money. Um, but it was a lot of fun, and we met some amazing people. Anyway, That's right. what, what so, happened after? So it was that time, um, uh, you know, I, I did... Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm very proud of the work that I did with hypnosis. Um, some truly, truly excellent work. And then um, during the period, you know, of a number of years where I was doing, I was acting in other people's shows. Um, there were several shows that I was really proud of there as well. Um, and uh, around that time, um, I also got my equity card. And uh, then um, gradually I met some um, cohorts um, who are Greek um, and, uh, you know, artists uh, and who had just a year or two earlier had started a a Greek-American, if you will, um, theater company. And so I, they asked me to act in one show and then, also in the next one, and then, I don't know, three or four shows in, um, I became a member of the board, and now I'm, I'm one of the co-artistic directors, along with um, the company called Eclipses Group Theatre New York. Um, Ioana Katsaru, who is the co-founder, is the other co-artistic director, and in many ways the driving force um, behind the company, both now and throughout its history. The Greek community is so tight, and I mean it in the best possible way. I never felt excluded. In fact, in fact, I felt very welcome. Uh, I feel like Jews are like Greek adjacent, um, mm-hmm. and there were Turks in our show who were there yeah. was no problem. But um, but the, it felt like 
every Greek actor knew each Greek actor from literally all over the world. Now, I'm sure that's an overstatement, but it, people really know each other in the Greek community. That's what it felt like. Um, yeah, I suppose that's right. Uh, I'm, I'm always surprised. You know, I have not... All my adult life um, has been... You know, I grew up in Greece, but all my adult life has been in the United States. Um, so I have not you know, experience the, 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 you know, professional theater world in Greece, um, from the inside. But of course I have worked with a number of people who have, and I'm always amazed when, you know, one of them says, Oh, do you know so-and-so? And the other person says, Oh yes, of course we, you know, he was my teacher at the, you know, in drama school, or I did a, he directed me in this thing, or I, I taught him or her in this thing, you know, um, right. or we, we, we acted together in this other project. Um, so it's remarkable how often that happens. Yes. Um, and so where are you at now? I mean, I know you are, what's interesting is you have a very dynamic business career, um, working for a big law firm. They are one of the biggest and certainly recognizable law firm. But you're also, are, are you running this, or are you on the board of this Greek theater company right now? Yes. So Ioana and I uh, run it, and um, we, Ioana is also chiefly the, the director of our shows. Um, I have directed some and so have um, some others, but um, the the lion's share of the directing uh, is done by Ioana. Um, and we, you know, we, we do many of the things that people who run nonprofit, uh, small nonprofit theater companies do, which is write grants and, um, and, uh, uh Largely depending on on what um, uh, uh, what um, uh, funding you get from which sources, which you know have certain requirements. So it has to be done it has to be a certain type of project, or it has to be done in a certain location, or it has to obviously be done in a certain um, period of time. So these, are there educational components? You know, community-related components. There are well, yes, um, on the community side, on the education side, uh, we have done some educational programming, although we have not um, pursued it sort of as a as a more concerted effort as one of the main avenues for the company. Um, but um, um, <clears throat> so. So, you know, we, we do all this thing, and then when it comes, obviously, to the specific productions, you have to do all the grunt work of negotiating, finding a space, negotiating, um, finding and hiring uh, all the, the designers and the production crew and the, the actors and, uh, and, you know, the, running the show, um, making sure yeah. that, yeah. That, that's why it's so great when you find people that you like who are good at what they do. You feel like, oh, I'm just going to use that person all the time. Um, you know, maybe they're not an actor who's right for every part, but you're, you're like, and you do, if you follow certain equity rules, you have to audition people, whatever, but there is a time when you're like, oh, that makeup person is the best. Everybody loves them. Let's just use them. Let's just like, we're done with that. You know, costumes. We love this person, scene designer, you know, crew chiefs, you know, whatever, um, because it cuts your search time and it, it lowers the 
potential of grief um, because it's such a people business. Um, and, yeah, and I think, by the way, I think that's true in, in any uh, walk of life. Um, but, you know, like many, mo many of the things that I, you know, I, whatever I do, I try to do it well. Um, oh, well, surely you do. I'm, I have no doubt. But I'm saying, you know, as somebody who's hiring people, which I, I'm sure you're in the position to do, you know, uh, whether you're interviewing directors or you're directing yourself and then you have to, it's just, it's why certain filmmakers just use the same crew over and over again. Like this works. I don't want to mess around with it. Well, right. I mean, what, so what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I've been the beneficiary of people noticing me having done a good job, both as an artist and in the, in a corporate setting, um, uh, where, you know, I've been asked later, you know, to either audition or interview for a, a different job. And many of the things that have been meaningful developments, professional developments in my life, um, have come that way. And at the same time, on the other side, I've, if I'm, you know, acting, I'm not a producer or director or whatever. I'm just, you know, part of the acting company of a show. And I noticed another actor behaving badly, let's say, and dropping his guard in front of me because he thinks, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not the bosses. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm never going to ask you to do a show that I'm producing because I've seen right. you and I don't care how talented you are. You are someone who's very difficult to work with. And, yeah. and the thing is, you know, all every experience you have is an extended interview process, and in fact, a much more effective one than the standard interviews or auditions that you have. Because what are you going to get to? What are you going to ascertain from the few minutes in an audition setting, or the thirty minutes, or you know, longer in a corporate interview setting? Obviously, you try to gain as much information as you can. But so it's a faulty process. I mean, there's no right. way you're going to get it like what you do with two weeks of rehearsal with somebody, right. you know, from eight to six or whatever. Uh, as we get close to the end here, I just yes. want to tell people the way you spell the eclipses group theater, it's eclipse, like a solar eclipse, right. E-C-L-I-P-S-E-S. -E um, and that is uh, the eclipses group theater in New York. Um, Dimitri, uh, I got to wrap it up here, believe it or not. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure we could have gone on for another 17 hours, but um, uh, no, I, I, this has been a great experience, Eric. Thank you. I, you know, I, it's helped me sort of take stock of my own life and career and the various stops and sort of, you know, come to appreciate a new, uh, uh, and feel very, you know, grateful for all the, the various opportunities that I've had. You have had, you know, it's great. If you, as you've listened to episodes, you'll know, I, I feel strongly that life is not a straight line and creative life is not a straight line. Right. And you've done a lot of interesting, different things and I like that you, as well as other guests, can be an inspiration for people. Because all too often people start off and they're like, I, I don't know what to do. What should I do? And it's like, something. Do something. Just get on the road. And that will give you information. Right? Don't you think? And then you'll, yes. you'll see what works, what doesn't work. And it'll if you listen and pay attention, 
you, the universe, I'm going to get all airy, you know, mm -hmm. woo-woo on you, but I don't care. Uh, the, yeah. You know, if you pay attention. How dare you? <laughs> the universe really does kind of show you what's next. Right, right. You know, um, I mean, it's two lines come to mind. One is the John Lennon line, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Mm. Um, but then the other one, and if I... If you, if I, you will indulge me for a second, um, sure. I recently read the book *The Code Breaker*. Um, you know the CRISPR um, gene editing developments of the past a few years. Uh, you know, sort of the, the the biggest, most revolutionary thing in biotechnology, biopharma. Yeah, I've um, heard of it. With, with tremendous positive possibilities and very, you know, um, worrisome sort of uh, ways in which it might be misused or abused. I look at the scary things more, but yes. Um, I, I, in, a, in a very shameless sort of way, I will note that one of the women who won the Nobel Prize for it is the sister of a very, very dear friend of mine. Um, so, and the book is about her. Well, in, in some ways it's about her. She is on the cover. So in that sense, it's very much about her, uh, Jennifer Doudna. But anyway, Walter Isaacson wrote it and he says, um, early on, he says that Darwin had a key trait that is a catalyst for creativity. Um, he had wide ranging interests and was able to make connection between different disciplines, which not, not to say that I, <laughs> in any way compare myself to Darwin. But I, I like to think that all of these various different things that I have pursued in my lifetime really make me, you know, inform one another. They're not at all sort of, um, you know, separate and disparate, um, but they do sort of cross-pollinate. And well, I think and Galapagos help, help sounds Greek. Yeah. But it's not. I'm sorry. They helped you grow. They helped I, me I, grow and, and understand each of these things better by having the experience of the other. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I as you know, I, I have a wide range of disciplines, too. And I think you're absolutely accurate. Um, and I will happily uh, ask that if I survive you, that you be buried in Westminster Abbey along with our <laughs> I believe I stood on his grave when I was there last. Um, and I, I think that it was him. Um, but in any event, to me, yes. uh, Benaros, I am so thrilled that I got a chance to reconnect with you, that you've been a guest. Thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. It's just been a delight. And you Thank are a delight. Thank you so much, Eric. This was a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Wasn't that a good time? Dimitri is really a fascinating guy. There's so many fascinating people. I'm so happy to bring them to you. I'm happy to be back doing this. Are you well? Please take care of yourself. Take care of those around you. If you have questions or just want to reach out to me, <clears throat> you can go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. I also have a Twitter handle. Um, Lots of ways to get in touch with the show. Keep listening. We have more really cool people coming down the pike. I'm not going to tell you who they are. You're going to find them out. <laughs> if you subscribe to this podcast, you'll get them sent to you automatically. Um, and please feel free to rate and review this podcast. It helps people find us. So take care of yourself. Stay well. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.